don't think consumers differentiate between 85 95 and 90 people only differentiate between 0 and 100 at the top there's only room for one right i believe in india 80% of celebrity usage in advertising that i see is not thought creating is easy what to create is a million dollar question hi You're listening to Marketing with Vani in which I speak to marketing gurus. Together we decode how marketing works in the real world to grow your business. Data data everywhere but not an iota of insight. This was pretty much the sentiment that led Suresh Shankar to quit a well-paying job at IBM to start Crayon, a leading big data and AI company that helps brands like HSBC, HDFC, Emirates by mapping consumer tastes. Suresh is a marketing whiz who's led big marketing agencies like JW Thompson. This episode is a masterclass on converting data into marketing insights and what kind of muscle and genes a modern marketer needs to develop. Listen on as Vani decodes the value of data for winning the battle of customer love. So I want to ask you two questions. Suresh, number one is in what form does the data exist with organizations typically, large and small? And second is how does one use the data, even if it is basic data, how does one use data to actually produce insights that leads to business impact? Thanks Vani I think great question so let me try the first one what data exists today today if you look at it Vani the whole world the most valuable piece of real estate is the little brick that we all that about 6 billion people on the planet carry around in their hands right and that is a vast emitter of humongous amounts of data likewise i think even if you take an enterprise and you look at an enterprise and its systems whether its systems are distribution systems or whether they are ERP systems or whatever else every one of these things is generating a huge amount of data about every single thing that's happening in literally every single second in your company the problem of course is always in this thing is that as you said it's your second question which is how do you start to use the data and my answer to that i'd like to divide into three parts one if you will the first is a macro trend of what i see and the second one is i'll go into what i call the new marketing gene that we all need right the thing that needs to drive us as marketers and this is a podcast for marketers i think if you look at one of the two big macro trends that are happening first thing that's really looking at it is that if you look at the holy grail that we've all sought as consumer marketers over the last many decades right from philip kotler and his original book on this and i think the whole idea was that we always wanted to understand our customers we wanted to know exactly why they are doing what what drives them what are the motivators they have what's the choices that they make how do they make those choices how do we actually create packaging or propositions that appeal to those choices and we have sought increasingly to narrow the focus into smaller and smaller segments from mass marketing to highly segmented marketing and the holy grail bunny has always been this idea of marketing to a segment of one can i know each consumer so well that i know exactly what she is thinking about and what she will buy and what are the messages that will get her to choose my brand over something else Right. So the good news is the tools that are available today, the amount of data that's available is really leading up very much to that point when it's possible. That kind of a thing is possible. The second macro trend is, I think, a little bit of a comes with a little bit of a twist, which is that as an enterprise today, the voice of the customer or the preference of the customer is already with you. Most enterprises have this voice of the customer. It's like the only thing is it's hidden deep in the data that you already have about this customer. We all talk about data as oil, right? You have a lot of data about the customer in every company today. 
And the key question really is, the twist is, how do you actually go in and get the signal from the noise? How do you actually take that voice that is hidden deep and translate it into a language that we can all understand as marketers, right? And that's, I think, the two big things. And that brings me to the second point I wanted to make. Therefore, if this is the case, how does how do we as marketers, what genes do we need? I think the first thing is that we all need as marketers to learn to understand data. And there are different kinds of things that we have with data, right? Data, we have data that's inside the enterprise or what we call internal data. There's external data, which is data that's lying outside the enterprise. And especially if you take the last 15 years, Vani, there's been an inordinate focus on the data outside the enterprise, what we call third-party data, right? The amount of stuff that's lying. This has been something that Google and Facebook have really mastered the art of making us use which is, I know where the consumer is, I know where the thing is, I'm dropping a cookie on them or a UID, I'm collecting infinite amount of data in social media and I'm going to use that to help you target better. Why are we not looking at the amount of data that enterprises already have collected or have access to, which is sitting inside them, or what you call first-party data? And not only is this, I think, a neglected area, I think it's going to be an area that's going to explode in importance in the next, it's actually already underway, but I think in the next few years, it'll be going to be massive and every company is going to turn towards this whole, how do I exploit first-party data? Simply because of what's happening, the concerns about data privacy, Apple's iOS changes, which making it impossible to track you across apps. Facebook's advertising revenue has dropped because of that. So what's happening is your first-party data is going to become the critical raw material for you to understand your customer. And this is a gene, uh, a muscle that we need to build. Also, I think when you look at data, we all tend to say, hey, listen, can I collect vast amounts of data? You're always focused on collection of data and every CEO and CXO you meet says, oh, my data is an asset. I have a million customers and I have so much data. You ask them another question, how, what value are you getting from the data? What's the return on your data asset? And the answers are never that clear. And in that case, then, you know, you have the data asset, but you're not utilizing it. It becomes to me a wasted asset. And this happens because our marketing muscles, our genes have been trained towards an excessive focus on collecting data and ensuring the cleanliness of this rather than a focus on generating value from the data that we have. That is a habit, right? It's a habit. You, you've got to have the habit of saying, I can take this data, refine it and process it. And that's really a muscle or a teeth that we all need to have as far as data is concerned. No, so how does one make use of it? Give us some simple case studies, some simple, if our listeners had to start doing business differently starting tomorrow, uh, using the data that they have sitting in the system, what would you recommend they start doing? Stuff that they could do by themselves. I'm going to give you an example that I personally like a lot. Now, the numbers I quote here may be slightly out of date, but Spotify has about 200 million users and they have about 200 million songs. Let's say two of the 200 million users, we have 200 million songs. That's 40 quadrillion possible combinations. Think about it, 40 quadrillion possible combinations, right? But here's the thing. Spotify can start from the same place. Let's assume you and I listen to five songs that are the same, yet they will find a way to show you a different set of songs than they show me. They will find a way to show you a different set of moods on a Monday versus a Wednesday versus a weekend. They will find a, diff uh, a way to take you on a journey through that personalized playlist, which seems so relevant for you. I have found a way to take this data, make it into a platform, analyze, organize the data, make it something that's valuable, and then give it in the form of a superior customer experience that's really relevant for every single one of those 200 million users differently. So to me, this is the best example of what I believe the new world of marketing and led by data and providing relevance to consumers is. Fabulous. Yes, absolutely. But do all organizations have access 
I mean, in what form does the data exist in organizations? Do they have access to as much data? And B, do they have the intelligence or the wherewithal to be able to make use of data the way Spotify does? Absolutely. And that's a great question. And I think many organizations have huge amounts of data. There are 45,000 banks in the world, believe it or not. There are 5 billion users that they expect to have for wallets over the next few years. Today, there are 20 billion instruments in the form of credit card, debit card and wallets. There are probably trillion transactions. UPI alone has a billion transactions a day or something. So imagine that's data. That UPI, when that UPI transaction happens, there's a buyer, a seller, a payment, a timestamp, a date, a location. All of it is data, right? Let me tell you the thing about this. Less than half percent of this data that all this is being generated is actually being used to analyze. And so that's, I think, the scale of what we're talking about. So let me take you to, to Myanmar when we went in there. It was 2017. We got a call from the CEO of this uh, bank called KBZ Bank. KBZ Bank is the largest bank in the country. Think of it like it's a privately owned bank like HDFC, but it's the, like the monster, right? It's like State Bank of India in India, right? It's like got 500 branches, 18,000 employees. It's, it's, it literally is the largest corporation in the country. This is 2017. And the new CEO went in there, basically when he called us and said, hey, we want to do something. 40% of the adults have a bank account. 40% of the homes have electricity. There is no supply chain. There's already two or three telcos that have launched wallets. It's a cash-led economy. That's the situation we're starting with, right? Now, here's the good news as a marketer, Vani. Smartphone penetration, even at that time, was over 100%. Their urban download rates of apps like Facebook and all that were as high as places like Singapore. You are a clear market leader because you have the biggest distribution network in terms of branches, ATMs, etc. And the management team out there had a really big heart because they said, my vision is for this country to have 100% financial inclusion. It's about 70, 70 million people. So, you know, if you take about 20, 30 million households that they said, can every household actually have this? So that is the vision. So now how go about doing this is the question, right? And I, it's a data dark market. There isn't data available. And I'm picking that because the question you asked me, how do you work when you don't have data and we're not that, when you're not Amazon or Netflix? So we actually had the idea then working with the CEO of saying, can we build like a, you know, what the CEO now calls the James Webb of telescopes, right? We had the Hubble and now we have the James Webb, right? So he said, can you build like the James Webb of telescopes, a super app, a wallet that has 100% financial inclusion that can enable e-commerce, that can go e-credit at a local level that can mobilize the employees. He clearly said, we can't do it alone. So you had to work with a bunch of tech partners. And here's what we built out over the last five years. And I'm going to start with what we built and quickly go to what we achieved. So we built out what we call a consumer wallet and nothing different from a Paytm or anybody else who does that, right? So it's the Paytm or Google. And by the way, it doesn't have UPI, right? India has UPI. There's no UPI in, in Myanmar. So somebody has to build that network. So we built out a, a Paytm-like app. You built out an app for agents to come on board and sign up. You built out, an, you know, merchants and all that to come on and sign up with a QR code. So you had to do exactly what the Paytms and Google Pays did. It is fully mobile, you know, the, nothing of the, uh, or, or, you know, of the old web thinking. And you had to get full KYC. You know, KYC is becoming more and more important. And when Paytm started, it didn't have it. Now everybody is saying KYC is important. With biometric onboarding, that could happen within a day. We divided, we said, how do we actually take a large country and make this work and make this available for everybody everywhere? So we had these two or three apps that we built, one for the consumer, one for the merchant, one for the employee. We divided the country into 400 plus geospatial territories. We like what is the biggest potential liability we have, 18,000 employees. On September 29th, we had 18,000 employees. On September 30th, 
those 18,000 employees were then enabled by their own super app and wallet, meaning they had a wallet and they had the super app that they could go out. And on October 1, it became the single largest sales force they had in the country that was available in Myanmar. We found every merchant, we plotted them on a map. We tried to get some indications from the economic thing, from various sets of data about how do you put that on a map. And then we started telling the employees who lived in that area or worked in that area, here's the merchants you need to go and acquire and put that QR code sticker. We then told every employee, we basically worked with every employee to say, can you onboard 100 customers? And the employee becomes the person who gets the biometric and the KYC done. And you know, every quarter, we work with the employees to say, what can you do to become the best salesperson for the bank using data? Because we give them data about customers, about friends or whatever else. And they use that to onboard people. They use that to onboard merchants. We use the data of the customer to tell the merchant how many customers are there in your area, whom can you target with what kind of offer. We use the data of the merchants to tell the customer what can you find that is close to you that can, we know right now, you know, on the third Wednesday, you're always trying to do this, what kind of things that you have to do. And what's this led to? I've got a long story short, I could go on about this. Uh, money, but today they have 10 million customers, nearly close to 10 million customers, 350,000 merchants. They have about 90 million transactions a month or 3 million transactions a day, which is small from an Indian standard, but you must realize they are 120th the size of India. We've had over a billion transactions so far, but here's the amazing thing. It is a profitable super app compared to every other app that's burning money and 30% of the GDP of the country goes through one app, 30% of the GDP. And it's a self-fulfilling virtuous cycle because the more merchant you add, they're actually being able to find customers to sell stuff. The more customers you add, you know, those customers are able to find the merchants they want to go and buy stuff. And the employee is beginning to now becoming like the person fueling this whole thing. So it's a amazing thing where in a data dark country with a non-savvy employee base, we have actually managed to create magic with data. Fabulous. Fabulous. This is a huge case study. Lape. Now tell us about organizations, Suresh, where say young organizations or startups. So one is I have an app. The app sits on my consumer's mobile. And so I get first party data from that app. Now I have to intelligently use that data. I have to figure which part of the data I can use, intelligently use it. What about startups that may not have an app? Would you be able to offer an in some insights on, so two parts to the question. One is, I have an app, even if that app sits with 5,000 consumers. How can I use insights from that to make some difference to my business starting tomorrow? That's number one. Number two is, if I don't have an app, and let's say I'm speaking with my consumers via telecom service, that is also the data that exists within the system. Would that also be within the purview of what you can offer insights on? So let me take those questions one by one. I think the first is when you're a company and let's say you have 5,000 or 10,000 customers and you have some data about them. One of the big challenges that I find is that every company is inordinately focused on acquisition and saying, I would rather have a million customers and get very low monthly active users as opposed to, I think, saying I have 50,000 customers, but they're all very active on using my app. The best unit of data, atomic unit on which you can operate is that block of 5,000 customers that you already have. If you have the data on that app, if you know why they are buying your product, when they are buying your product, how much money they are spending, how much time they are spending browsing through the app, and let's say it's a commerce app, right? And you're doing, that is a huge amount of insight and voice of the customer that can tell you, I know so much about these 5,000 customers that I can do two things with this data. One is 
can I get this 5,000 customers to spend more time, attention, money with me? Use my product more frequently, right? But equally, now that I know there are 5,000 users and I'm dividing them into different kinds of users within that, how do I use that information to go out there and target and get the next 5,000? And now then it becomes an atomic unit that you keep replicating at scale. And each 5,000 person atomic unit becomes a little bit more granular in terms of your understanding. Obviously, as it's, I mean, it's, just think about it as like you're going from a territory territory setting up a distribution network at Pepsi, right? You want to go to a, one thing and say, I know 100 retailers, they will stalk me. Then I go to the next one and say, hey, I learned something from the first 100 retailers and their stalking patterns. I'm going to go and do it again with the next 100. So that atomic unit is what I think the company needs to adopt and say, let me do something with this 5,000 people. And that is information in, that is already in their app. But I suspect that in most organizations, like I said, we are saying, hey, we've got the data, but it's not important. I need to get to 10,000 and 20,000 and 50,000 customers. We don't take the view that those 5,000 customers may have the key to the next 5,000 that we want to get. Does that ring a bell for you? Yes, 100%. 100%. Now, let me come to the other part where you said, what happens if you are dependent on other... Your question is, what happens if I'm actually using another platform to sell? That's your... Right. Yes. It's a much harder question because I think one of the things about platforms like Facebook and now Instagram increasingly and TikTok in other parts of the world is that, you know, or Google through search is that they have offered us this promise of like, I can help you reach millions of customers in a highly targeted fashion. And to some extent, they're great for small businesses because I think clearly you can't get that kind of access to those customer bases. But my view, Vani, is that this is a dangerous path to tread. Because every time when you go out there and you start to use these platforms more and more to do something, we get the short-term results that we want, but it makes the platforms even more powerful. And what's happening is that soon, we lose the ability to actually do something with the data that we get about the customer. I mean, I can advertise, I can get that thing, I get the click, but I'm now forced to go back and get more and more expensive advertising time. And I think you know this better than me, the advertising return on those ads is now coming down as the targeting gets more and more, sorry, less and less granular and therefore more and more expensive per thing. So while I think in starting, you don't have a choice but to use the platform, I would still say that the moment you get 1,000, 2,000 customers are coming in, you've got to find a way to take the data that you have and use that to create, hey, let me get the next 2,000 and 5,000 and keep growing like that. And the third, and your third question was, what about people who are sitting in contact centers? What about people who are doing things and calling and all that? And how do you do that? Now, there's great news on this front, actually. And I think this is where the biggest uh, breakthroughs are happening in terms of AI technology. The other bigger breakthrough that's happening, Mani, is in the area of unstructured data. And when unstructured data typically refers to either image data or words, right? And today, what you have is, for example, you can take a call center conversation. You can convert that into a transcript because there'll be something that would, for example, this podcast, we can run a transcript of it, right? We can pretty much run it through an attribute extraction machine or algorithm that can find out all the things, not just a word cloud, but something deeper. The words that you're using, what does it say about you as a consumer? But interestingly, we are now getting to a stage where even the conversation and the tone, the tonality, we can actually have AI platforms that are being built today as we speak that can look at the tone of the conversation and say, when is this rising? Is this person angry or not? And this becomes information that can be also fit to the person having the conversation, saying the customer is getting irate or the customer is whatever it is. The customer is calm, the customer is genuine. So you can even, I won't say we can measure emotion, but we are starting to get algorithms that can understand what is going on in the customer's emotion. 
I'm going to go back to that idea I said right at the beginning, Vani, which is if you are a marketing, if you want to develop a marketing, a new gene or a new muscle, you've got to look at data very differently and say that is the core of providing hyper-personalized experiences, which I think is what every marketing person's life is all about, right? How can we provide those hyper-personal experiences? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you said, personalization at scale has become the new buzz. Tell me, for all of the data that does exist in various forms for young entrepreneurs or companies that may not be able to immediately get the help of data specialists like yourself, what would you recommend they do immediately with the data at hand to make some tangible difference to business? The simplest answer I would give is instead of going out and recruiting 10 more salespeople and saying, I've got to spend more money on acquiring the next 10 customers. I would say if your customers, existing customers are generating any data, spend a quarter of the time and a quarter of the money trying to create this atomic unit of saying, I understand these thousand customers better. I would simply say this is a must do. If you're selling in a B2B thing, you know which enterprises are using your data and when they're using it and what features they're using. If you're a B2C app, you know that the thousand people are using your app to buy something or of some kind. They're coming from somewhere. They're shopping at something. They have a certain journey they're making. And it doesn't cost a lot because you know there are tools available that can give you this information today. It's about whether you want to spend the time, your time to actually go in and say, I want to understand this atomic unit. And I want to find out why they're doing what my best customers are doing. Once I know that, let me see and what my worst customers are doing and what differentiates the two. And now you have these two cohorts of data. Very nice. I would actually say understanding this atomic unit of your best customer and your worst customer and saying, what's the difference that I can drive for my next set of customers that I acquire is the single best thing that a startup person can do. It's so simple. It's so simple. And you're right. It's basically using data for the simple fundamentals that we learned probably in the first class of marketing in MBA. And yet it seems to be stuff that a lot of us as entrepreneurs still don't do. But I won't blame the, I won't blame the entrepreneur. It's a tough life. You're doing a hundred things. Talent is hard to get. Money is hard to raise. And I think the other problem that we have with data is that as a field, Bunny, we have tended to confuse the issue. And there are so many points of view about which data, what, you know, why you're doing this, etc. That there is what I call more noise than signal. This episode was brought to you by Cherry Peach Plum. Vani and her team of marketeers and problem solvers at Cherry Peach Plum help businesses solve a wide range of growth challenges by utilizing proven marketing playbooks. Get in touch with us via cherrypeachplum.in if you want to take your brand to the next level. I hope you liked my show. And if you did, please do consider subscribing. I also have a YouTube channel by the same name, Marketing by Vani. Please do check that out too. Thank you. So I did screw up. My YouTube channel is called Marketing with Vani, the same name as this podcast. 